Hey, welcome back to the Worship Sound Co. podcast. We're excited to have you back for part two of our conversation with HW from Tone Junkie TV. So we're just going to dive straight into the conversation. Sometimes I think our perspective as guitar players, uh, like we can forget how hard it was to learn all the stuff that we know. You know, like we, you know what a bad cat and a matchless does. Mm-hmm. And it took a while to get there. And so like with digital, it's like starting over and that's going to be a very uncomfortable feeling because all of a sudden, like you, you can get a graphic EQ mm. that says 160, 320, 640, 1280, three, and at, you know, 24 K. And then, and then you're just like, um, uh, 2.4 K. And then you, you end up, ha- it's, it feels like you're starting over. It feels like what's a fender, what's a Vox. Yeah. And, uh, they can be very difficult to use, but like. You know, most of us didn't know that our Fender frontman was probably not going to get us the sound we were after when we bought them with our first guitar or whatever, you know, yeah. like you just did it or blues junior, you know, yeah. um, whatever the first amp was. So there, there is a real learning curve and, um, you know, you got some units out there like the Kemper, which is clearly designed by an engineer, you know, no real, it's not an excellent piece of gear in terms of UI. I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. Amen got, on that one. <laughs> yeah. But then you got the Helix and it's better and it feels a little more. And um mm-hmm. and then you got like another there's an axe out there, which some pe- which is probably like the Android of phones, you know. It's like <laughs> if you're a tinkerer, go for it. But uh, you know, everybody else <laughs> might just, maybe just want an uh, an an iPhone and that's Dude, that's Helix, you know. Dude, that's literally I feel like the Kemper is like the apple of the It might be the Kemper. <laughs> It really is. It's like, oh, you just want you just want this to do like kind of what you want it to do and nothing else. Okay. Okay, there it is. (laughs) Yeah, there's some things you can't change, you know. Mm -hmm. But overall, I'll I'll tell you, I was I was thinking of this as you were you were talking about the amps and stuff. Um overall, I think the whole trend has been really overall, not just in digital, but towards analog as in analog as well, and with all the amp makers. The trend of the past 10, 20 years has been portability and, mm. and and that i think is the overall thing because even right now a deluxe reverb and a princeton from from the mid 60s is more expensive than a twin or a super from the same year and i don't think that was true prior to like 2008 uh pr- probably like early 2000s i remember going on the gear page as a young lad trying to learn all this stuff and those guys had big amps like Germino was a big name and people still oh, want yeah. the boutique companies were still pretty Marshall based and oh, there was a lot of Vox stuff, but it was still about heavy amps. And now I feel like the trend is all about 112 grab and go. Everything's smaller match mm-hmm. putting out 15 watt versions of all their stuff. Everything is small, low wattage. And that's, you know, amp manufacturers doing what they can to uh, mm-hmm. kind of give people what they want. But I think it's a combination of just like, you know, the internet and the, and all of human knowledge is in our hands all the time. And uh, we don't want to carry four twelves anymore. And, and, mm-hmm. and then as a result, you see a lot of people going direct and you even see a lot of people saying uh, the helix is too big. Can I just put it all on my stomp? I wish the stomp had more stuff. It's like, <laughs> The stomp is like as big as a it's as big as a big stomp. That's, that's your entire rig. If you have baggy pants, you could put it in your pocket. So you know, a yeah. '90s hip hop artist could carry you know the whole band's rig. Yeah, 
Maybe Jinko jeans needs to come out with the the helix stump. <laughs> helix pocket. Yeah, the helix pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Just random side note. Speaking of small amps, when you were at were you at Winter Nam this this year? I was. Yeah. Did you get to mess with the Bad Cat Paw any? Uh huh. You know that's um that's an interesting thing because that along with like what Sir is doing really seems like the next evolution of the tube amp, which is mm-hmm. um. Sir went with, here's an all-tube amp that will take a, a popular 100-watt model, the PT-100. We'll scale it down, the PT-15. And what we're going to do is put a load box inside with an IR loader. And this was mm-hmm. really this is really smart because they've taken the tube amp and they've added on the functionality of what makes digital great, which now mm-hmm. you can take a small amplifier. When you're at home, you plug it into your cabinet, you're ready to go, you're, you're playing like normal. When you're live... You're, you have sound on stage, but you can go direct and not mess with microphones. And when you need to have a silent stage or you need to do late night recording or whatever in a home studio, you can go direct. Um, but the ba- Bad Cat's doing something very similar where they've actually taken the tube preamp and phase inverter of a, I think it's a Cub 40 or Cub, uh-huh. 30, I don't know, what models. And they've paired it with a Class D solid state power amp. So no need for a load box. Uh, no need to you know figure out how to not make tubes blow themselves up because tube power amps they want to explode and that's like part of their magic <laughs> so you have to stop them from doing that so by using this class D solid state power amp you can run speakers on stages you can go completely silent you can go and they built in little desktop speakers so you can mm. play it as like a desktop amp you can bring it with you. I heard that thing at NAMM. They plugged it into a big 212, and it really sounded good. I got to be honest. I was surprised. Because even I, when I hear solid-state power amp, come on, what's that about? Yeah. You know, know, I'm a tone junkie. I'm a tube snob at heart. But uh, it sounded good. It really did sound good. I I think that's the – there's some future evolutions there. You know, I ran into Joey Landreth at NAMM, and uh, Joey Landreth, killer player. He told me – he was nice enough while I was waiting for my Uber – or while he was waiting for his Uber and I was just sitting around, he, he talked to me while, was, uh, while the Uber was on its way. And I told him what I did and he said that he was actually letting the sound man, uh, his sound guy who he traveled with, make the determination of whether they would use cabs on stage or whether they would use two-note um, cab, mm. like IR oh, loaders. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just up to the size of the room. Mm. And uh, they had an IR they had shot of hit with his mics or their mics they were using and his cabinet. And he would just go direct to his in-ears. And, and if it was a bigger stage, he had the, the two-rock cab on stage with them. And uh, I think that's that's the kind of versatility that is like required today that wasn't required in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and mm-hmm. maybe even early aughts, you know. Uh, but, it, but it is required today. It's certainly required under quarantine when you can't leave your house. And <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely, I think as like a hole in the digital versus analog realm, something you mentioned earlier, like the romanticism of hearing it and even how you grew up your first amp, like putting it in your room and kind of just feeling it and feeling it on your feet as your, you know, floor vibrated a little bit when you turned it too loud. And um, yeah, there's something that I think a lot of people who lean on the analog side of things, that romanticism is there and the memories and stuff. And I think that's the beauty of analog and tube and, but I think that pairing it together with digital stuff, I think there's there's definitely like like Bad Cat's doing and Sir and all these people. It's it's taking 
taking it back to the romanticism of it and mm. still keeping, you know, technology pushing forward because tube technology is so stinking old and we're still, you know, it sounds great. It's super dynamic, uh, especially in a room when you're just listening. But yeah, especially for live gigs and professionals that, that really want to push the envelope and find different tones that, I mean, the digital world is kind of like a, an exciting wild west in some ways where you're <laughs> like, what can I do with, algorithms and you know computer yeah. programming into tone yeah. and it's uh it's exciting to see what's what's out there do you have any um anything you're excited about that you're working on or uh, technology that's you know excites you you know i think um where the world goes with the capture tech is really is really almost limitless because it's it's really only been attempted a couple times and mm -hmm. it are and it seems to be in my opinion, pretty darn good. Uh, so I think as they keep going with this capture tech and how do we, how do we capture uh, what we hear out of an amplifier, but then also how do we mimic, you know, uh, maybe what the ear hears or how it hears live as opposed to through the filter of microphones and, and outboard gear. Um, and, you know, there is not a reason, you know, they had this new tube technology. I think Korg had it. And it's kind of the, the unfortunate thing is something like that will never really take off as long as one person owns, you know, like a patent on it because tubes were widely used for all electronics, you know, audio and visual electronics. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's one of the reasons it's really hard to, uh, copyright the circuits. And so you have all these people just sort of borrowing, copying from each other and stuff, even as early as like Jim Marshall and stuff, but that technology should actually like be the next step. I don't know that it will be. I think we're going to leap. We just leapfrog to digital, but really just taking that tube component and making it a component that's much smaller, but that behaves in exactly the same way, which on paper, those do, hmm. um, they can build a new tube that in every way measures the same as a six L six or an EL 34. And, uh, and they're just not using a vacuum glass bottle to do it. Um, but, you know, that's, I mean, I don't know how many people have new tube technology on their board. I don't, I don't think any. And just for clarification, he's not no. saying noob tube for any of you Call of Duty players no. out there. And, and that's another Got reason. NU tube sounds like a, like a Limp Biscuit genre of like music, you know, it's like new metal or something. Yeah. They should have called it a worship tube. <laughs> PNW tubes. Could go. Oh, wow. That would sell. That would sell. <laughs> a line of praise and worship tubes just for praise and worship tone. <laughs> I mean, I think you could literally oh, sell those. <laughs> you have for real, man. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to part two of our podcast with Tone Junkie TV. We'll be back for a part three. But in the meantime, make sure to check out Tone Junkie stuff. Follow them on Instagram. If you want to follow us on Instagram too, Worship Sound Co., feel free. But we'll be back next time. Appreciate you guys. Have a good one.